Coming up, we have a football Sunday. Zach Wilson is back. A huge Baltimore against Buffalo matchup. A Sunday night game, which is a rematch of the Super Bowl from a couple of years ago. And I don't know if you heard, there are some new rules in the NFL. And there was a fall guy in the Tua case. Also, a giant playoff-like baseball game in Atlanta on Sunday night baseball. All that and more coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today Sunday morning and it's a football Sunday welcome back to the Rami V podcast it's presented as always by BetterHelp use my name R-A-M-I at checkout for 10% off your first month of online therapy and we got a full day of football games and I wanted to get to you before the games start Uh, So here it is, not as on time as I would have liked it to be. But it's Sunday morning, get you set for football, though football starts this morning at 9.30, so lots of fun stuff to talk about. Um, It does feel a little bit weird to talk about football after Thursday night, but it's crazy how quickly we get over it, right? Like Thursday night, it's all anyone wants to talk about. It does its 24-hour news cycle, and then we're back to talking about football. College football is back on today, and Tua, it's almost like he's not even going to be talked about. Obviously, it's going to be mentioned on every single broadcast uh, on Sunday, I'm sure Red Zone, it'll be mentioned by Hanson and all those guys multiple times, and then it'll be done. It'll pass through the news cycle. We'll talk about it a little bit next week, but mostly we'll talk about the games that are played today, and that's just how the NFL works. And so we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, obviously, had I recorded Thursday night, um, I probably would have talked about it more. But uh, again, I don't know if you missed my schedule from last week, but uh, Thursday night recording was not really an option um, after I was in the studio on Wednesday night for the overnight. And then I started, uh, I did traffic, went uh, Thursday morning, and then went straight to my new job at Fox, which is really fun. And we'll, I'm sure I'll explain that and have time to get into all that a little bit later, but go straight into my new job at Fox. And then after that, I went back to the studio to do afternoon traffic on Thursday afternoon. And then I did the Thursday night overnight. Uh, I was in no state to be recording a podcast at that point. Um, I then stayed for the morning traffic on Friday morning and uh, passed out the second I got home. So that was fun and then had to get up to uh, work for Fox also on Friday afternoon. So it's been jam-packed, but here we are Sunday morning. We made it to football Sunday and Zach Wilson is back. So there's a lot to get into. I do want to start, by the way, this is episode 99. Um, How crazy is that? Number 99, the Yankees, Aaron Judge is chasing number 62, 62nd home run of the season, American League record. And it just so happens to be I'm recording my 99th podcast episode. By the way, how crazy is that? It's my 99th episode already. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do for the 100th podcast episode special. 
I guess we'll figure it out. Hopefully it'll be tonight or early Monday morning doing a recap of all the Sunday games. So maybe we'll have a little party, but it's kind of cool. hundred episodes. Um, like I said, when I started this, I didn't know where this would take me, but a job at Fox sports and a job at Odyssey isn't too bad. Can't complain about that. Um, so that's what, that's what we have going on for you. So first I'm going to start it. Like I always start these, uh, I guess usually this is the Friday podcast and I'm going to get back on schedule. I'm doing the traffic again on Monday and I'm going to figure out how to balance the, uh, the Fox job with the Odyssey job and all that stuff and maintain the podcast and keep the content coming. And, uh, if you're enjoying, please again, like subscribe and all that great stuff. We have so many videos coming out. Thanks to Dave Lavenger, producer Dave, um, with all the YouTube stuff and, and TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, there's a lot more video content also, which um, you know was something I always wanted to do. And we made it to the 100th episode. We have a sponsor. We have two jobs in sports. We have uh, a great listening, following audience, you guys, which is awesome. And I appreciate that. And we also have, obviously, um, all the video content coming out, rolling out as much as possible. Um, as many videos as we can get per episode it's been uh, it's been awesome um so all that stuff is great now i do want to recap like i usually do i'm going to recap the monday night game or the thursday night game i should say and the game itself is pretty mundane 27 to 15 the dolphins did not cover so again now i'm 27 and 22 on my picks on the year which is not great um but like i said i thought two would be in the game he was not uh not that i'm using an excuse that's you know, that's gambling. That's how it works. But two obviously sits um, and they lose that game by, you know, after a late touchdown, uh, they lose the game by 12. So let's talk about it. The Tua injury. Um, it's terrifying. That was the first thing I watched it. And of course, you can't really complain. I know Amazon's getting a ton of hate for showing it over and over again, but we always want to see what happened. And so they showed us what happened. That's basically, you know, as fans, a lot of times you you have the right to look away. You can look away, um, but a lot of times we're always we want to see what happened. Oh, let's show me what happened. I want to see what happened. They showed you what happened. They showed it to you repeatedly, and it was awful. It was terrifying. And for anyone watching that, the only thought that you could possibly have was, "This is just so scary. This is beyond football. This is beyond sports. This is life. This is a guy who his life seemed to be in danger in that moment. It, it was scary. It was a scary, scary moment." But there's a lot more angles to this, and I think I have the luxury of having it let sit for a little bit um, because it's already Sunday. Um, everyone wanted to react in the moment. Everyone wanted to be, you know, instant hot take and say what you know what would be popular. Um, but I'll tell you exactly what I think, and this is just there's a number of things to look at here, and there are a number of angles. First of all, the first angle is the first hit, and this obviously goes back to the game against Buffalo. On Sunday, four days prior to the second hit and to Thursday Night Football. And on Sunday, he gets hit in the head. His neck kind of cocks back. And you see as he gets up, he's wobbly. Shouldn't have come back in that game. He's stumbling. He falls down. He says his ankle. He says his back. It was obviously a tough hit to the head. He stays in the game, actually plays pretty well. He's pretty confident and leads the Dolphins to victory. So you think, all right, maybe he's okay. Now, is it the smartest idea to play football four days later? No one really mentioned it other than one doctor on Twitter who we'll get to later. But that brings up point number two, the second hit. The second hit was not a vicious hit. It was not a hit that looked like, yeah, he, he kind of body slammed him, but it didn't seem like his head hit that hard. His neck snaps back a little bit earlier before he hits the ground. And then his head kind of hits the ground, but not as hard as you'd expect for a guy to start seizing up the way he did. Then there's the doctors. And this brings in the fall guy because we found out 
that one of the ind- independent doctors who was in charge of running the exams, because remember, there's multiple doctors involved here. There are the doctors in the game on Sunday. There are the NFL doctors, the independent evaluator, and there are the Miami Dolphins doctors, all of which decided, not one of them, but all three determined that Tua was capable of going back into this game on Sunday and capable of playing on Thursday, only four days later, after a traumatic injury. Now, one doctor, the independent doctor, is going to take for the fall for this and was fired by the NFL. But he seems more like a fall guy because these guys don't want to risk their jobs. If you're any of those doctors, you're not looking at this saying, yeah, just send him back out there. They know what the ramifications can be. They saw him wobbling. They know the whole world saw him wobbling. They know how this is going to look if another hit does occur. And, oh, yeah, it's the NFL. Hits are going to occur. They knew their job was on the line and they risked it all just to send him back out there? I don't think that's what they did. They have no reason to risk this all. And I know they're the fall guy now, and it seems like everyone wants to pin it on the doctors, but the doctors wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have sent him out there if they knew for sure he had a concussion, right? At least that's what we think. Which brings us to the doctors on Thursday night and the Cincinnati Trauma Center. Everyone's saying, how can Tua get back on a plane with his team? Now, these guys are not paid by the NFL. They have nothing to do with the NFL. They're just doctors in a hospital. And when they get a patient, it's their responsibility to make sure that he is the best care, has the best care before he's released. And if they're advising that he could take a flight back with a team to Miami, there is no reason for them to say it other than if he's actually 100% capable of taking a flight back to Miami. So all the hot takes came out. How could you put him back on a plane? I don't know. But it wasn't the NFL who put him back on a plane. It wasn't the team. It wasn't the team doctors. It was the Cincinnati Trauma Center who put him back on a plane. So if they let him go, I mean, that's one angle, right? The fifth angle is Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel is the first time he really looked bad in the media where he's like, yeah, I mean, Tua was calling for me. He was not coherent. He was not himself. Whereas on Sunday, he was himself. Now, Mike McDaniel is just the mouthpiece for an organization, and unfortunately, he just says what the, does what the doctors tell him to do. For all the people who say, well, Mike McDaniel should have sat him, should he have sat him? I mean, if the doctors told him he's clear to play, he's clear to play. I'm going to try and win games. That's my job. Now, the fact that he has to answer for the doctors and answer for everyone else after the game on, on Thursday, that sucks. It's unfortunate. But he didn't look great in doing so. But can you blame him? Next is the NFL. Like I said, the NFL was going to do whatever they can to make this not look bad for them because they look terrible. The NFL in this situation cannot possibly look worse. For all the people who say Thursday night football is bad, for all the people who say there's the CTE problems, the NFL hasn't had to deal with a situation like this in a while where they protect the quarterback so much. All the rules against hitting a quarterback and all that stuff. And yet in this case, in this scenario, they look terrible because they have the independent quote-unquote evaluators who are supposed to be there to prevent scenarios like this, and now they're getting dragged in the mud. And we still watch football. Everyone's going to watch every Sunday, every Thursday, every Monday. People are still going to watch the games. But the NFL hasn't looked this bad in a really long time. And so like I said, they found the fall guy already. They did something else, which we'll get to in a minute. But the NFL was going to make sure that the spotlight was not negatively on them, and it was turned negatively on other people. They made sure that this doesn't put them in a bad light. Next is the media. The media 
is going to put the NFL in the bad light, is going to say everyone is at fault. They're looking for everyone to blame. It's the Dolphins' fault. It's the doctor's fault. It's Tua's fault. It's Mike McDaniel's fault. And it's the NFL's fault. The NFL was just there to make sure, no, leave us out of this. Then there's the one guy on Twitter. The one guy on Twitter is a doctor who prior to the game said, if Tua Tagovailoa plays, there should be arrests, there should be firings, there should be fines. Because Tua Tagovailoa had a clear concussion on Sunday and should not be able to play four days later because if he has a second concussion, it could cause long-term effects. And he looks like the smartest guy in the world, right? The hit happens. He says, I'm not happy to be right, but I'm right. And he posts all the different things. This is a classic neurological reaction to a second concussion. This could lead to long-term effects. Tua could literally die is one of the things he said. And then he said something interesting where he said something to the effect of, if Tua Tonga-Vailoa dies from this hit, I can't wait to sue everyone. And it's like, oh, wait, shoot, this guy has an agenda. So he seemed like the good guy in all this. He seemed like the guy who actually predicted it, was out in front of it, was consistent the entire time because no one else was saying that Tua shouldn't have played. Everyone was being Monday morning quarterbacks after the fact and saying, oh, well, shoot, Tua shouldn't have played. Look, Tua shouldn't have played. Look, he's hurt. But nobody said it before other than this one guy. Turns out this one guy happens to have an organization dedicated to helping players with CTE and head trauma. So maybe he does have an agenda. If he plans on suing everyone, maybe he doesn't really have Tua's best interest in mind. And then there's Tua himself. The career of Tua Tagovailoa, and I think this plays a major role in all this, and people aren't really talking about it as much. The career of Tua Tagovailoa has not gotten off to the greatest start. He obviously gets hurt, the hip injury coming out of college, and he falls in the draft to Miami. He has to deal with situations with Brian Flores, where Ryan Fitzpatrick, ironically, on the call on Thursday night, coming in for him late in games, almost like Mariano Rivera came in to save games at the end of games for the Yankees. And then finally, he gets Tyreek Hill, he gets Jalen Waddell, he has two of the top receivers in the league. And in the first three weeks of the season, they're 3-0 and and they're looking really good. And he has a chance to beat the Buffalo Bills at home. The team that's supposed to be the cream of the crop in the AFC and the best team in the AFC East by far. And you know what? He says, guess what? Maybe I'm a little bit wobbly, but I'm not going out. I'm not coming out of this game. I've seen that story too many times before. And, he's, and when the doctors ask him the questions, guess what he does? He phones it in a little bit. He's like, guys, come on. I just need to go back out there. And I don't really blame Tua. And this is where everything has to come above all this. Tua Tagovailoa is finally having more success and more consistency than he's had, at least in only three games, to start his career. He's not going to risk that. He has the mindset of an athlete. They don't get there by accident, these professional athletes. He has the mindset of, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out there on the field. And so he put himself in harm's way. And you're not going to blame the victim here. Because like I said, that's only nature. He's a professional athlete. That's what they're wired to do. But when we're looking around, running around for all the fall guys, and we're firing people, making new rules, and blaming Mike McDaniel, blaming everyone around them, at some point, too, has got to save himself from himself, right? And so while everyone's getting blamed around him, people aren't going to talk about the fact that this is a kid who wanted to be out there more than anything and was willing to maybe phony some tests and I hope he gets held out a couple of games now and they save him against himself because now it came back on the NFL. It came back on everyone but him because no one's going to come out here and blame him. It's not a great look to blame the guy who was the victim in all this, right? But at the same time, he might not be as much of a victim as what we think. And so Tua, hopefully he realizes that the best thing for his health in the NFL, but also for his health long term past the NFL 
well beyond the NFL is for him to sit a few weeks at least. And maybe then he'll be healthy enough to get back out there and play in the NFL again. Now, it is a shame the timing of it because as a career perspective, this is the best time that he's had so far, the best start he's had to a season, the most consistency. He's got Mike McDaniel's offense. He's got Tyreek. He's got all that stuff. You saw this is an offense that even Teddy Bridgewater, who's by all means a capable backup, but he had success in this offense. But Tua's finally putting it all together, it seems like. And so from a career perspective, the timing sucks. But you know what sucks more? If his life is put in danger because he's putting his career ahead of his life. And I know to an extent all NFL players are kind of putting their career ahead of their lives, right? You don't see 90-year-old NFL players that often. There's a lot of head trauma. There's a lot of body damage and all that stuff. They don't age super gracefully. But as a kid who's a young kid, he's got a long life ahead of him. He's got a long NFL career ahead of him. He's got to be careful. Now, the NFL does make a new rule. It's pretty much just a get-off-my-back rule. It's like after the pass interference wasn't called in New Orleans all those years ago in the playoffs, they put in the rule that's like, okay, well, now you can challenge pass interference. The rule sucks. It was never used properly. And then the rule disappeared a year later once the angry mob calmed down. Same thing with this rule. The NFL puts a new rule in that if a player is wobbly at all or looks like he's shaken up too bad, he's not going to go back into a game. And guess what's going to happen? Tom Brady's going to get up from a mediocre hit and he's going to misstep once or twist his ankle as he's walking and he's going to have to sit out of the game. And the angry mob is going to be yelling, this is insanity, how could you hold him out of this game? And the rule's just going to quietly disappear. I don't think this is they're going to come out and say that the rule's gone, but they're going to be calling it a lot less. So maybe today, Sunday, next week, week five, week six, we start seeing players being held out of games from this rule. But the second it's one pro, big profile player after a not-so-bad hit, all of a sudden the rule is going to quietly disappear. That's why I say it's just a get-off-my-back rule. Quiet the mob for now. It'll be gone before we know it. Now, as far as the no Thursday night football agenda in all this because that mob showed up again i don't agree with that clearly we've seen time and time again it's not the best football it's not the highest quality football there's a lot of sloppy play not a lot of points scored but players are capable of doing it we've seen it before guys are capable of playing four days later is it the best quality of football no but the nfl is capitalizing on it they want to make money i agree Tua should not have been out there but that doesn't mean every single player can't recover that quickly. These athletes are incredible, and most of them can and can recover by Thursday. That said, Tua did not recover, and he should not have been on the field. And it led to a really scary moment. Now, to the game, I guess. Tua was playing well, although he underthrew Tyreek wildly. But he should have had a touchdown pass on that first throw. That throw to Edmonds that was dropped was such a great throw. Perfectly placed. He underthrows Tyreek by about five to seven yards, which sucks because that would have been a touchdown. And the Bengals weren't overly impressive. They were kind of mm, mediocre. Yeah, they're two and two now, but they still need to show a lot of improvements. They're actually going to be the team that doesn't fall into the Super Bowl hangover trap. And they get a chance again next week against the Baltimore Ravens. That's going to be a big game for the Bengals. 
Now, an interesting uh, Mike McDaniel story came out. Two interesting Mike McDaniel story came out. One I hadn't known, but uh, Al Michaels told the story during the broadcast about how Mike McDaniel's got his first job in the NFL, which was he was a big Broncos fan, and he went with his mom, single mom, to a Broncos practice, and his cap fell. He was wearing a baseball cap, and his cap fell in a spot that the fans can't get to. So... One of the video coordinators, I think it was the lead video coordinator for the Denver Broncos, came over and picked up his cap and handed it back to Mike McDaniel and then was introduced to Mike McDaniel's mom, ultimately dated and married Mike McDaniel's mom. That's how he got onto the Shanahan staff for the Denver Broncos and eventually was discovered as the great football mind that he is and became uh, an NFL head coach years later, obviously. So that's a crazy story. And so typical for Mike McDaniel. As crazy as that story is, it's just typical and classic Mike McDaniel. If that would happen to anyone, it would happen to him. And it couldn't have possibly happened any other way to Mike McDaniel than him accidentally dropping his cap. Just you could imagine that clumsy kid just dropping his cap and then his mom falling in love with the video coordinator. Oh my God. It's too classic. But the other story was, and this is just so much fun, fun Mike McDaniel, was there was video footage Somehow a drone was getting flown over the Dolphins' practice. And there was video footage going around on Twitter of their practice. And it was leaked. And Mike McDaniel's just a step ahead. Instead of trying to shoot down the drone or trying to get rid of it or calling security, whatever it was, he decided, no, I'm going to fake you out. If you're going to try and leak my plays, I'm going to put 12 men on the field. And it's like, well, maybe he's running a 12-man offense to get his defense. Maybe that's a drill he runs to have his defense improve. But we'll never know. Maybe he's just messing with the drone. Because Mike McDaniel, he could have been doing anything. So that's awesome. All those storylines are really fun. Uh, But like I said, the main story that's going to be coming out from Thursday Night Football is the Tua stuff. And in all this, what we forget and what we need to remember, and the main thing, the most important thing, is Tua's health. And that's really all anyone should be caring and talking about. All right, we're going to get to Sunday's games. Lots of matchups today, and it starts at 9.30 in the morning in London. And Minnesota at New Orleans, and I talked about this last week. When is there a time that Kirk Cousins could possibly perform better than he can perform on a Sunday night? It's 9.30, on a Sunday afternoon, I should say, at 1 p.m. It's 9.30 in the morning when nobody is watching, because nobody watches these London games that usually stink. It's weird. The players' bodies are wonky, all that stuff. And you'd think, okay, maybe it feels like a primetime game for Kirk Cousins. But no, I think 9.30 a.m. on a Sunday in London is going to be prime Kirk Cousins time. Maybe they should move the franchise out there. Minnesota minus 2.5. I'm taking Minnesota. Again, if anything proves that you shouldn't trust my picks, my record's 27-22. and 22. Still winning you some games, winning you some money. It's not great, though. All right, the regular games, 1 p.m. on Sunday. It starts in Cleveland, or sorry, Cleveland at Atlanta. Cleveland is minus one and a half, and like I said, I think this Cleveland franchise is going to be sticking around. They had 10 days to prepare for this game after a tough divisional win. Maybe it's a kind of a sleepy game for them where they don't get the job done, but one and a half is essentially all it's saying is that they're going to win this game by more than a point. And I think Cleveland can beat Atlanta by more than a point. I'm going to take the Browns. Washington at Dallas. Dallas is minus three and a half. And something interesting that I saw from the Monday night game, because I looked at the box score the first thing, because I didn't watch the game, was Rosh Hashanah. And so the first thing I did was check the box score, and I scrolled down to see Micah Parsons and see what he did. And I think he had one tackle. 
no sacks, no tackles for loss, no deflected passes, no fumbles, no forced fumbles, nothing like that. And I was like, wow, Micah Parsons didn't really have an impact on this game. And then you watch the game, and he's all over the field, and he's flying everywhere, and they're running everything away from him. And when he's rushing, they're putting three guys on him, and another guy's getting to the quarterback and getting the sack. And you see he forces the defense and the offense to adjust to him, and he forces the defense to feel like they have three extra guys out there on the field because of how much attention he draws. And what's incredible, and what people don't talk about often, is what the coaching staff has done with him in Dallas. I was listening to a podcast about the evaluation of Micah Parsons coming out of the draft, and I think he was taking maybe 11th overall, something like that. And everyone said, yes, he has the capability of being a really strong player, but he was not more gifted necessarily than other guys coming out of that draft. And what has made him into such an incredible superstar is what Dallas has been able to do with him. And yes, he was a superstar before Dallas discovered him. They didn't discover him. But they are maximizing him in the way that they use him. They use him everywhere on the field. I hear him getting compared to LT, but he's not just a linebacker who's rushing the quarterback the entire time. He drops back into coverage. He's almost like another safety out there. What makes him different, what separates him from any other athlete is his first step and his instinct. When he has a gut feeling, he trusts it, and his first step of acting on that instinct is so quick and so powerful. And so the Dallas Cowboys designing their entire defense around that and around his brain has been incredible and has maximized a player who is obviously a superstar in this league and made him the most impactful defensive player maybe we have in the NFL today. That's saying something with guys like Aaron Donald in the league, with guys like TJ Watt, Micah Parsons might be as impactful as any of those guys, if not more. Dallas is minus, favored by minus three and a half at home. Cooper Rush doesn't lose. Washington is not particularly good. I'm going to take Dallas minus three and a half. Seattle's at Detroit and Detroit is favored by minus five and a half. And this is the first time in a long time that you can genuinely say the Lions are expected to not only win, but convincingly win a game. Can they stand up to that pressure? I don't know, but I hope they can. Dan Campbell, Hard Knocks, everything that this team has gone through the last bunch of years, they've been all has all led them to this position of being favored by nearly a touchdown in a game. But like I told you, I think Seattle might not win another game all year. I think they're really bad. I don't know how Detroit responds to all this pressure of beating the Seattle Seahawks at home. But then Detroit minus five and a half. I'm going to take the Detroit Lions in this game and the points. Tennessee is at Indianapolis. And to me, it's a toss up. Indianapolis is favored by minus three and a half. I took Indianapolis. I looked at my picks from earlier in the week. This game will probably end in a tie. Indianapolis is one, one and one through three games. Tennessee has not looked good either. I think it's fair to say Tennessee is the better coach team. I talked about Frank Reich being on the hot seat. Matt Ryan has looked better in their last game when they finally got their win. And I think, I guess... If you look at it, it's a pick and then Indianapolis is at home, so they get three points. Can Derrick Henry did, do what he did last week? He finally looked like Derrick Henry a little bit? I don't know. But I guess we'll find out later today. Indianapolis, minus three and a half. I'm going to stick with my earlier pick and say the Colts somehow find a way to get on the right track and win this game. Chicago is at the Giants, and I can't believe the Giants are going to be 3-1. and one. Yes, I think the Giants are going to beat Chicago. They're favored by minus 3.5. I'm actually going to take the Giants. There's not going to be a lot of points scored. It's going to be a boring game. It's going to be a bad game. You don't want to watch it. But the Chicago Bears have 23 total completions through three games. 
Joe Flacco had that, I think, in one half for the Jets. And the Bears have 23 total completed passes in three games as a team. That's not particularly good. It's very bad. They're not letting Justin Fields throw. And this is coming to the point where Justin Fields is angry at the Bears. And that's come out this week that he's really mad at the Bears. And this is what we talked about. This staff didn't draft him. This regime did not pick this quarterback. And so they're not willing to develop him. They didn't put the pieces around him. They're not trying to help him. They're trying to rebuild. And they're likely going to go after a quarterback in this draft. And Justin Fields not being this their guy, he is talented. He's shown that he's actually capable. And they're not letting him do anything because they're not even trying to win games. And they don't care about developing him because he's not their guy. And ultimately, he's just a guy who's there so that they could say, well, it was Fields' fault. Trust us, once we get our guy in place, this will all be better. Just to extend their time in Chicago. And it's a real shame for Justin Fields, but I think the Giants don't have all that dysfunction on their side. And they'll find a way to win minus three and a half. I'm going to take the Giants. The Jacksonville Jaguars are at Philly. And is this finally the game that Philly falters a little bit? With all the MVP talk, with all the Super Bowl talk, it's only intensifying. And so far they've looked good, but we haven't seen them have to close out a close game yet. I know Detroit made a late run at them in week one. But like I said, they haven't really had to close out a game. They're favored by minus six and a half. I think they'll win, but I think Jacksonville keeps it close. I think people are going to start paying attention to Jacksonville as the real contender in that division with Doug Peterson. People are actually starting to see why people were so high on Trevor Lawrence. All of a sudden, I think it's all coming together for Jacksonville as much as I hate it. Because I wish I could say that, oh, Trevor Lawrence isn't that great. And the fact that the Jets won a couple of games down the stretch that year and then ended up with Zach Wilson, (laughs) it's not that bad. But I think I'm going to be wrong. I think Jacksonville has a real chance at least being 9-8, and 10-7 and seven and winning that division in the South. It's not a particularly good division. And I think they'll keep this game close against Philly. And it's the game where people really start to take the Jacksonville Jaguars seriously. I'm taking the Jags plus 6.5. Speaking of my Jets and Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson is back. They are in Pittsburgh. And I told you for all the reasons why this sucks that the Jets are getting Zach Wilson back in this game. It's annoying. It's frustrating because it feels like this is a game they should win. Pittsburgh is second last in the league in yards per game. They don't move the ball on offense at all. Their offense stinks. They don't have TJ Watt, but they're coming off of 10 days of rest and losing to the Cleveland Browns, which Mike Tomlin is angry about. They don't like doing that. Now, can you say, well, they don't have TJ Watt. Their defense is not very good without TJ Watt. Their offense is led by Mitch Trubisky. He's not particularly good. The Jets' defense has shown that they are pretty good. All that stuff is true. Yes, this is an extremely winnable game for the Jets. Will the Jets' offense improve significantly with Zach Wilson? It should. But that all that said, all that said, we've seen this story a thousand times before. We've seen this a million times with the Jets. Just when you expect them to actually compete in a game, they're going to get their doors blown off. Pittsburgh is minus three and a half. I'm taking Pittsburgh, and I'll tell you this right now. If the Jets allow more than 25 points in this game, their defensive coordinator, Ulbrich, should be fired. Jeff Ulbrich, after the comments he made this week with Quentin Williams, why he's not playing him, there's a lack of awareness on the defense. There are mistakes as far as penalties and all that stuff. And yes, you can blame the head coach, Robert Sala. I think ultimately he's a defensive head coach. It does come down on him. But he's not going to fire himself after this week. 
if this is a game where the Jets give up 25, 30 points this week to Mitch Trubisky and this Pittsburgh Steelers offense that's second last in the league in yards per game, Ulbrich is done. And even if it's not this week, it's going to come sooner rather than later. You can't keep putting him out there. That's just my opinion. The game of the week is Buffalo at Baltimore. I'm going to be in the studio, so I'm not going to be there. If this was last year and I was still in sales, maybe I'd be at the game. But then again, I'd much rather be in the studio. And it's the marquee matchup of the week because these are two teams that are supposed to be the cream of the crop in the AFC. These are two teams that are supposed to be the top teams in the AFC. And you think about it, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson will always be linked together. Josh Allen goes in that draft. Lamar Jackson obviously falls, yet is the last pick in the first round. And a lot of people look at this and say, well, obviously, Josh Allen is the best quarterback taken in that draft. Baker Mayfield's taken in that draft. Sam Darnold's taken in that draft. Josh Rosen, of course, taken in that draft. But who are the big winners? The Bills. They get Josh Allen, right? MVP candidate year in and year out. Super Bowl contenders year in and year out. Competed with Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game at Arrowhead. And all that, with all that said, the guy who's won the MVP between these two guys is Lamar Jackson. Let's not forget that. Yes, Josh Allen is an incredible quarterback. And yes, a lot of people would look at him as the prototype for the guy you want as a quarterback, and maybe he is the better quarterback of the two quarterbacks. But let's not minimize what Lamar Jackson has done his career, and especially what he's done so far this season. And I know I talk about this every week, and maybe it's because I cut up his press conferences, so I'm more exposed to him. But I get to see what Lamar Jackson says before and after games. And he's like, what do you remember? You're linked to the Bills. You're linked to Josh Allen. What do you remember playing the Bills? That was your first game in your career. He's like, well, I remember these dudes are really big. This was his first game in the NFL. And I remember thinking it's really cold because it was in Buffalo. It's kind of funny. Just He's so nonchalant about everything, but he's clearly improved. He's clearly working on different things. And like I said, it shows the most on him taking advantage of mistakes that's the biggest, that's where it shows the most, that's where it appears. And Lamar Jackson has been able to stand in the pocket and take advantage of defensive secondary mistakes this year. Now what might hold the Ravens back in this game is their defensive numbers have been awful. They're 32nd, dead last in yards allowed per game in the NFL this year. 458 yards allowed per game in the NFL. And I know a lot of those came in that one game, that one collapse against the Dolphins, but they had a lot, they allowed a ton of yards to the Jets. They allowed a lot of yards to the Patriots. This defense has not been good at all. And the only thing that's their saving grace, because they've only allowed 25.7 points per game, which is a lot, but it's not. That's like more middle of the pack in the league, or really like 25th in the league. It's not 32nd. So what's won them games is, one, their offense has been top in the league, averaging 33 points per game. But second is the turnovers. They're tied in the league for first in takeaways with eight takeaways this year, and their turnover differential is plus five, which is third in the NFL. But how long are you going to rely on that? This defense needs real help, and yes, you can keep getting interceptions from Marcus Williams and Marcus Peters, who have been interception machines so far this year. Patrick Queen recovering fumbles. That's awesome. But at some point, your defense needs to actually make stops on the defensive side, not keep giving up these huge chunk plays. I don't think that'll happen this week. Buffalo is minus three and a half. And I think they win the game in Baltimore and cover the minus three and a half. The last game in the one o'clock hour is the Chargers at Houston. 
Houston is plus five and a half. And after we saw from the Chargers last week, I am going to take Houston. Maybe Justin Herbert's back. Maybe he's fully healthy. I don't know. But he really didn't look very good last week. We're only a week removed from that. I think the Chargers will find a way to win this week, which is a huge improvement over last week. But to take them minus five and a half, I don't think I can do that. I'm going to take Houston to cover. The late starts, 4 p.m. And this is the problem once we have the bye week starting and the London games. Not great. There's only four late games, or only three late games, rather. And none of them are great games. And that means that the late hour could be really boring and really dumb if you're watching the NFL past 4 o'clock on Sunday. The first game is Arizona at Carolina. And this is the first coach fired off. The loser of this game will likely be the first coach fired, and if not both of these guys being the first coach fired. We already know in Carolina they said, no, we're not... We're going to be patient with Matt Rule. If you have to come out and say that you're going to be patient with Matt Rule, that means that he's already on the hot seat. We know that. Cliff Kinsbury has looked awful. He has one of the most dynamic athletes in the NFL at quarterback, and he can't figure out a way to take advantage of him and utilize that. So Arizona is plus one and a half in this game. I'm going to take Arizona because of Kyler Murray. But like I said, this is not going to be a pretty game. Either one of these teams can find multiple ways to lose this game. We'll just see who tries harder to lose this game. Will it be Baker Mayfield? Baker Mayfield has a little bit of revenge game in him, by the way, because he's playing against Cliff Kingsbury, who didn't let him play at quarterback at Texas Tech. Ultimately, he leaves, goes to Oklahoma, gets to the NFL. But Baker Mayfield has so many people he wants to have revenge against. Can you really keep up? Angry Baker is the best Baker, but I don't think it'll help him in this game. I take Arizona plus one and a half. I think they will beat the Panthers in Carolina. The second four o'clock game is New England at Green Bay. Green Bay is favored by minus 10.5. No Mac Jones. I don't know if that helps or hurts the Patriots, honestly. I think it hurts them. But Mac Jones looked awful last week, so I don't know. He's looked awful so far this season. And really, starting the second half of last season, he hasn't looked particularly good. The Patriots seems like they're a mess. And people are starting to say that in the media, in the media which maybe they steal a game because when Belichick, when you start counting him out, that's when he comes back to bite you. But who knows? Are the Packers due or are the Packers due to explode? That's the other thing. They're minus 10.5 in this game. You know I don't take love to take a ton of points, but this is one of those games where it feels like maybe the Packers offense finally puts it together. It seems like Romeo Dobbs has a connection brewing with Aaron Rodgers. I picked him up in my fantasy league. Pretty excited about that. If he becomes the wide receiver one for this team, this can become a special connection for the Packers. I'm going to take the Packers minus 10.5. I know it's a huge number, but I think they'll win and cover. I think they'll blow out the New England Patriots in Lambeau on Sunday. 4.25 p.m. on Sunday. It's the last late game before the Sunday nighter, and it's Denver at Las Vegas. Las Vegas is favored by minus 2.5, and Denver is averaging a grand total of 14 points per game this season so far. Not particularly good from Russell Wilson, who's a creep. He's a weirdo, that new commercial that came out with his sandwich it's just he's a real weirdo and like I said I don't think Josh McDaniels is a particularly good head coach Las Vegas has looked like a total mess but they haven't looked as bad as the Denver offense I'm going to take Vegas to get their first win at home and improve to one and three on the season and I think the question mark surrounding Denver and Russell Wilson will really start to mount as the season continues to Sunday night football we go And this is another marquee matchup. We talked about the other marquee matchup being the Bills and the Ravens. This is Kansas City and Tampa Bay, a rematch of the Super Bowl from a couple years ago. Tampa Bay is allowing nine points per game this season so far through three games. 
The Kansas City Chiefs are scoring 29.3 points per game, which is one of the highest in the league. Tampa Bay is first in the league in defense. Something's got to give. Neither team wants to lose two consecutive games, right? Both these teams came off bad losses last week. If you're Tampa, you lose on a tough two-point conversion not made to Green Bay. You lose 14-12. to If you're Kansas City, you obviously lose just in a weird, bizarre fashion. Almost looked like the AFC Championship game from last year, the way Kansas City just couldn't move the ball. And obviously, Eric Bieniemy and Patrick Mahomes seen yelling at each other on the sideline. You know when you're a winning team, that's like a sign of a fierce competitor. Yeah, this team. Oh, winning teams. We yell at each other on the sideline when you're the Jets and you're Quinn and Williams yelling at the defensive coordinator. Then it's a bad sign. But I think this is going to be a good thing ultimately for Kansas City. I think finally Tampa Bay, their defense has to break. A defense can't remain this good. Maybe they hold them to 20-something points, but I don't think they'll hold them to 9. Neither team wants to fall to 2-2. Two and two. I think Tampa will fall to 2-2. Two and two. It's been a tough week for Tampa. And they have to recover and rally around that to win. I don't see that happening. And for Tom Brady, he's out there making TikToks with different cooking people online now. So maybe Tom Brady not being fully in it is not a great thing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Maybe that does finally come back to hurt them a little bit in this game. And I'm going to take Kansas City, who is favored in this game, minus two and a half. And I think they will win and cover the minus two and a half. I'm going to take the Chiefs. Now, on Monday's podcast, we will preview Monday Night Football, so stay tuned for that, and I'll give you my pick, but these are my picks for this week. Like I said, Kansas City minus 2.5, Vegas minus 2.5, Green Bay minus 10.5, Arizona plus 1.5, Houston plus 5.5, Pittsburgh minus 3.5, Jacksonville plus 6.5, the Giants minus 3.5, Indianapolis minus 3.5, Detroit minus 3.5, Cleveland minus 3.5, and I also took Minnesota minus 2.5. Notice there, I did not take a lot of underdogs, only three underdogs, but some weeks are like that, and that will probably come back to bite me. Although my strategy of taking a lot of underdogs in weeks two and three did not help me at all. So 27 and 22 so far, not great, like I said, but hopefully we'll improve on that. There are a couple baseball stories as we hit October 1st. Nothing like October baseball. Watching these Yankee highlights with people wearing sweaters and wearing jackets and jeans and coats in the crowd it's nothing like it the mariners that's the number one thing the seattle mariners break their 21 year drought with a walk-off home run a monster shot off the glass wall behind the right field seats dave sims goes absolutely nuts it was an incredible moment i love that dame dave sims is there the camera's on him of course we all remember the mitch hanniger walk-off from last year that he called they ultimately don't make the playoffs last year but they do make the playoffs this year they break the drought good for baseball good for seattle great for sports That's the first thing. Number two in baseball right now. There's only one division still not decided in Major League Baseball, and that is in the National League East, and it took a major swing through the first two games this weekend. The Mets went into this series with the season lead over the Braves and the division lead over the Braves. Mets had the tiebreaker. All they had to do was win one game. And in the first two games, they have the top two pitchers in baseball, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, going. And the Mets lose both of those games. Now, DeGrom and Scherzer were not great. They get four runs and three runs, respectively. But these games are awesome. They feel like playoff games. It is essentially a playoff series. And now the Braves have the lead in the division, and they tied the Mets for the season series. So Sunday night baseball, Mets, Braves. The winner of that game wins the season series between the two teams. And if the Braves win, the division is all but over. And if the Mets win, 
then they have the season, they have the tiebreaker, they have the season series between the two teams, and the division would then be tied. They'd be tied in the standings going into the final games of the season, the final series of the season, and the Mets would control their own destiny. This Mets team is different. Every time they've been down, they've come back. They've proven that they're different than past Mets teams. But with the two best pitchers in baseball, DeGrom and Scherzer, those are the two guys you want in a playoff series for sure. I don't think anyone would argue that there's any rotation that you'd rather have than having those two guys start back-to-back games. But in what was essentially a playoff series, those two guys let the Mets down. I saw broken down on Twitter a list of the Yankees' numbers, month-by-month, wins and losses. And this is a few days old already, so the numbers have changed a little bit. But in April, they were 15-6, and one of the best teams in the league. May, they were 19-9, and also one of the best teams in the league. Their best month was June, 22-6. and Then July, they come back to earth. They go 13-13, and not great. And then August, a terrible month. They get outscored by 12 runs total in August, not very many. And they are eight games under 500, losing 18 games and winning only 10. Now, in the previous months, they were blowing teams out. Even in July, they outscored their opponents by 57 runs, even though they were only 13 and 13. So what's happened this month in September? We talked about them riding the ship. 24 games into the month of September, they were 17 and 17 with 133 runs scored, making it their third best month for runs scored on the season and only 93 runs allowed. That's as good of a month they've had since June when they scored 155 runs and only allowed 84 runs and went 22-6, and six, their best month of the season by far. The positive for the Yankees is with all these issues, a lot of them can be solved. Yes, there are so many issues and question marks around this team. Can Garrett Cole be the number one ace that they need him to be in a playoff series? Who's going to close games for this team? Is it going to be Holmes? Is it going to be Loisaga? Is it going to be Chapman? Can the offense consistently stay healthy and be good and score and get big hits with runners in scoring position? Glaber Torres, Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton. All those question marks around the team. The thing is, the question marks can be answered in a positive way. And if they are answered positively, and I'm not saying all of them, I don't need all the questions, but if Severino can come back and be the guy that he's capable of being, if Garrett Cole can actually be an ace of the staff, if Clay Holmes can show what he's done, or one version of Clay Holmes or Wendy Peralta or one of those guys is actually the guy that they wore at some point during the season, the Yankees can win a championship. They could go on a real run. But the thing that makes September different than any other month, with all the months that they were great and the two months that they really struggled, the thing that makes September in my eyes different and a positive for the Yankees in September is that with all their struggles, they figured out a way to win. Stanton was awful in the month of September. DJ and Rizzo were both hurt and non-existent in the month of September. Severino was out. Peralta mistimed. Cole is pitching like a middle-of-the-rotation guy. He really is. He's not pitching like a top-end starter. He's pitching like a guy goes out there, six innings, four, three runs every time. That's not an ace. Always giving up the biggest hit, not being able to make the pitch when he needs to make it most. That's not an ace. The Weizaga has been inconsistent. Clay Holmes can't locate at all. And Nestor Cortez was out, also missed a few starts this month, in the month of September. And with all that, the Yankees figured out ways to win. What you need to do in the playoffs is figure out ways to win when you're not at your best. So if Glaber can continue to play the way he's been playing down the stretch, if Aaron Judge is as unstoppable, or if they just keep walking him around him. But Stanton, 
He saw he hit the bomb home run. I said, October 1st is when Stanton comes alive. If Rizzo can get back to himself, DJ LeMahieu, even Oswaldo Cabrera, the way he's been contributing to this team. I don't know which one's Oswaldo and which one's Oswaldo. To me, they're both Oswaldo. So yes, the questions can be answered. Severino could come back and be great. Peralta could come back and be great. Chapman could be decent enough. And maybe Cole can have some starts where he's an ace. But even if they don't do all that, even if they don't figure it out, there's still a good chance that this team can win without them figuring every single thing out. That's what happens. That's what you need to do in the playoffs is win when you're not at your best. Win when things do go wrong. That's what separates the teams that ultimately win the championship. And the Yankees over the last month have been able to do that. And that's a good sign for the New York Yankees who, if you would have asked me a month ago or even two weeks ago, do I think this team is going to make a run and go to a World Series and win the World Series? I would say no. But now there's a sliver of hope for a few reasons. One, because I saw the Bronx and the energy during this home run chase. And that kind of energy in the playoffs is going to be incredible. And I think that really will help the Yankees. Number two, I saw what this team was able to overcome over the last month and still find ways to win games. And if they can continue to do that, that's a real sign of a really good team that can win in October. Nestor did have his final start of the season against the Orioles, and I'll close on this. He finishes the season, 28 games started, 12-4 record, a 2.44 ERA, a .92 whip, and 168 strikeouts in 158 innings. Absolutely unreal season from Nestor Cortez. He's going to rest now for about 11 or 12 days before his playoff start, which is not ideal. But I am ready for Nestor in the playoffs. If he starts game one, I can't argue it. I don't think he will. He'll probably start game two. But I'm confident he will be excellent in the playoffs. All right, that's a little talk in baseball on a Sunday. Otherwise, football Sunday. Enjoy your Sunday. I will be in the studio producing the Ravens pre- and post-game shows today. And, of course, they're live during all the games. Enjoy your Sunday. It should be awesome. A great football Sunday. Not a ton of great matchups, but we have a couple of marquee matchups. Like I mentioned, obviously, the Bills and Baltimore should be a great game. And Kansas City and Tampa in the Sunday night game should be a great game. And I hope to see Green Bay break out in the 4 o'clock game and dominate the New England Patriots. That would be fun for me. And Zach Wilson is back, QB1. So all that good stuff is here. And it's Sunday in the NFL, our favorite thing. All that and more. So obviously, like, subscribe. If you're new to the podcast, share it with a friend if you like it. Hit me up. Tell me you're watching it. Tell me you're enjoying it. Check out our stuff on social media. Also, check out the giveaway that we're running right now, giving away Jets tickets. We've been giving them away. I'm going to revise that a little bit. Um, If you've been paying attention to that giveaway, uh, it's going to change a little bit. But all that good stuff, like, subscribe. Until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones all I know Everywhere I go oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, oh, oh. Always on my road I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, oh. Now I'll never know oh, oh. My concrete walls I'm still New York I'm still New York 
a drop down riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive your heart beat close, don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air when I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, 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 always on my Short and prospect Take them long walks on my time spin Just a kid with that empire State of mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest Yeah Said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city Ain't nothing like it Even if I do though I can never hide it Top down on the west side When I'm driving East side be the only side of the